0: In 1992, a trio of game development titans teamed up to create something never seen before. Hironobu Sakaguchi, creator of Final Fantasy, joined up with writer Yuji Hori, creator of Dragon Quest, and the designer Akira Toriyama, creator of the Dragon Ball manga series. This dream team released one of the true classics of the SNES era, Chrono Trigger. Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a monthly gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha.
1: I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones.
0: And today, we're talking about Chrono Trigger. Released in 1995, Chrono Trigger was developed by Square for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. And, boy, uh, I have quite a few memories of this game throughout... Uh, My youth growing up, uh, you know, it is now the 25th anniversary year of this game, and I still have fond memories of playing it back in the day, so it seems like a good time for us to revisit and see how well it holds up.
1: I first played this game, I think, in sixth grade or so, so that would have been, what, uh, 99 or so? I was a little late on the Super Nintendo fad. We didn't get that till nearly the new millennium, but this one is a classic of that era.
0: I have several memories of, of this game from growing up. Uh, the most prominent being of seeing it at my local uh, record exchange used game store, where it was going in in box for about two hundred bucks. So, being that I didn't really have a, a real job, I did what enter- any enterprising, technologically inclined team would do, and pirated the shit out of it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, same. I played it on an emulator on my Gateway computer, so if that tells you oh, about yeah. <laughs> the, time, the time frame i played this, it's been a while.
1: Is Gateway still in business? No. Chrono Trigger. Still selling more units than Gateway computers.
2: By far, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this time around I played it on my uh, legally purchased Steam copy, although... Um, i know even the steam copy the the pc version of this went through some iterations before it became uh, like a playable form yeah
2: i guess people hated it but uh, i guess the true ultimate version is the nintendo 3ds version but that even that's hard to find
0: Uh, isn't it just a ds version or is it
2: 3ds i think it is ds i played it on my 3ds i've started this game about a hundred times i have it on my ds I have it on my computer. I have that on the emulator. I think I even have it for PlayStation downstairs. It came in a dual pack with that in one of the Final Fantasy games. I think.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I definitely. I also have memories, Josh, of your brother Nathaniel being like my initial uh, person in my life that exposed me to this game. Uh, he mentioned that it was like his favorite JRPG, and um, he he was a you know a knowledgeable person on video gaming stuff so Mm -hmm. I I trusted his judgment and you know if he was telling me it was good and I saw it for going for 200 bucks at the GameStop or or record exchange or whatever I was like boy something special here and it turns out it was a good game right
1: oh shout out to Nathaniel
0: but let's talk a little bit about this game because it is sort of an oddity in um the video gaming world in that it it sort of uh runs against like a lot of the long-running series but also takes elements and creatives from those various series uh Hironobu Sakaguchi, Final Fantasy creator, Yuji Hori, the designer and creator of Dragon Quest, and Akira Toriyama from uh, the Dragon Ball manga, all contributing to the ideation of this game. Sort of a, a dream team of creatives pulling together to create this concept.
2: Yeah, except for once, normally when you get all these like heavy-hitting people together, it never turns out to be good like the, oh, what do you call it, when, when all the people from the Famous bands get together and then they put shitty music <laughs> together somehow. The you know, super group. <laughs> yeah, the supergroup. For some reason, this supergroup actually did what they none of them could do alone. I think they made something better than all the things that they'd uh, individually done, which was kind of kind of cool.
1: Oh, I think so. Uh, Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy were, I think, going through their fourth to sixth iterations at that point. So those were very much established series, and these were very much established veterans too.
0: Yeah, I want to make sure to call out that um, the. Additionally, they brought on a ton of like up and coming top talent in their respective um, studios as well. Like we had uh, really talented directors, designers, programmers. Uh, Yatsunori Mitsuda is the person who did the soundtrack of this game, uh, accompanied by. Uh, Nobuo Uematsu, who was the Final Fantasy composer as well. And there's an interesting story there that I'll probably tell later in the podcast about um, him needing to take over for Mitsuda, which uh, obviously this game's soundtrack is stellar too. So it's going to be fun to go through all aspects of this game.
1: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, and for anybody that likes Dragon Ball Z, that art style is immediately apparent. You can see it. Actually, uh, I don't know if this was included in the original original game, but there's actually like uh, animated cutscenes in there, too, that pretty much look like it's part of a, dra- a Dragon Ball episode, pretty much.
1: Those cutscenes were not in the original, but they were in the uh, PlayStation port, yeah, the okay, first okay. of the many ports this game has received.
0: And now gotcha. that I'm thinking about it, that's the first legal copy of this game I owned as well. Uh, I remember using caddy <laughs> money to purchase the Final Fantasy Chronicles, which included uh, Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy IV uh, on yep, the PlayStation. That's,
2: that's what I've got in the basement, yep.
1: Those animated cutscenes were uh, quite interesting for me to see. This was the first time I'd see them. I'd only played the original Super Nintendo cartridge or emulated versions of this since then. And it really was like a Dragon Ball Z style. And I'm, I'm going to kind of say, I, I feel like uh, Chrono looked like kind of a tool in those to me. <laughs> I thought he looked <laughs> yeah. like a bit of a jerk. I'm like, I, I don't I don't know if I want this guy. I liked him better as a 16-bit sprite.
0: Honestly, I thought they were fairly additive. Like, adding those anime cutscenes in for the pivotal moments, like Frog opening the mountain pass and the flying off on the backs of the, the pterodactyl creatures was pretty neat. Like, all in all, I think it was additive.
2: Well yeah, right back then there were no such thing as cutscenes in video games, so I'm sure it was cool for people to see for the first time, like, oh my god, that thing that was just like a couple pixels on my screen that you had to like imagine what it looked like to your mind, they kinda fleshed that out, which was pretty sweet for that time.
1: And I think back then Dragon Ball Z was going through I think some of its heights of new North American popularity, at least in terms of my social group when I was in seventh grade.
0: Yeah, it, it was the uh, the sort of uh, invasion with Toonami, you know? We got all of oh, yeah. the, the anime coming over to, uh, to America in the late 90s, early 2000s then. I remember seeing um, Gundam for the first time back then, as well as Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z and all of those things.
2: Mm-hmm. So, quick question for you guys. So, outside of just the character design and the art design, you said that a lot of these guys had designed uh, Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy before this. To my mind, at that time, uh, RPGs were still very turn-based, correct? Um, this has an active uh, combat system, which is far and above anything I'd seen from Final Fantasy or from Dragon Quest, especially at that time uh, time in, in video game history. Is that correct? I don't think Final Fantasy had done that yet.
0: You know, I couldn't tell you which one was the first one to use the active time battle system. I think it might have been Final Fantasy IV, which had come out just before this, but I, I'm no, you know, JRPG historian. So I'll say at the very least, this was an early active time battle system. And, you know, it might have been some people's first exposure to that type of system, which I agree is, is very revolutionary to sort of the way to keep turn-based battles, quote unquote, moving.
2: And interesting. Yeah, you're not you don't feel like you're just sitting there scrolling through menus, like things are happening around you, and you got to make a quick time decision. I know you can turn that off. But that's that's the way it's meant to be played, at least.
0: It is interesting to me that this is sort of a very late uh, entry onto the Super Nintendo system, right? I mean, the PlayStation was going to be coming out any any month or maybe it was already out even when this uh, this had released. But either way, very late entry into SNES, so it's truly sort of stretching what the console could do in terms of mechanics, in terms of graphics. And um, it, for the battle system's perspective, the very interesting thing to me is that there's no battle screen. You basically run into enemies on your overworld map, characters reconfigure around to a formation, and the battle starts. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and there's no hidden enemies. I mean, they might pop out at you sometimes, but like, God, that's one of the tropes of old uh, RPGs that I just couldn't stand. Just like in Pokemon, man. You'd be walking around and you know, you hear the, oh no, you've just been, you're entering a battle now. It's like there's <laughs> nothing there. Like everything you can run into is on the screen, so you know what you're getting into, and you can even avoid combat sometimes that way. And I think that just made it a much more mature it, This game was super mature for, for its time. It either. Broke ground on a lot of things, or it was right there on the cusp. Oh,
1: well, you could avoid a lot of battles, which I think was a good thing because this game did have a fair amount of backtracking going on with it. Definitely one of the more dated aspects of its game design.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it is mitigated by the fact that you know every battle sort of being something you can choose to enter for the most part or not engage with is is very helpful. Um, but it's crazy to me that this game and Earthbound introduced these aspects for a role-playing JRPG so early. But yet several years later we would still see random battles with no uh, indication on screen in Final Fantasy X, you know? Like it's it's crazy that it this evolution of the genre was just sort yeah. of like forgotten for a decade.
2: Or Pokemon, sorry. <laughs> they fixed it in 2019. Come on guys, Chrono Trigger was doing this 25 years ago. That's a whole lifetime ago. Ah uh.
1: I'm gonna kind of push back with you guys a little bit there, you know, I enjoy the whole you can avoid battles and you see them coming, but it's a design choice to switch you off to a separate battle field or battle system or whatever, and mm-hmm. that games have chose not to do that is not necessarily like oh, they missed the boat. They never heard of Chrono Trigger. Like they choose to do it
0: that way. <laughs> no, you're right. It's a choice. Uh, it's it's fair. I mean, maybe it's just me and Clint speaking to our preferences that uh, it's annoying to be interrupted from your flow of exploring a place to all of a sudden under a battle screen. And, but at the same time, like generally speaking, that's a choice I'd rather they don't make.
2: <laughs> same. Yeah, I think it makes it more fluid and you never feel like that. You're right. You're suddenly jerked out of the world that you're in. Uh, with with no warning, and now you're doing battle. Like after again, like in Pokemon, for the fiftieth fucking time, I don't want to fight a Geodude.
1: I'm just
0: trying to get through this little cave.
1: Clint has a little uh, post Pokemon stress <laughs> disorder.
0: Well, I think a, a lot of people that drift away from JRPGs. It's because they can feel a little punitive in terms of the amount of time they demand. Uh, yeah. For for you know new content, and you're right. The fiftieth time you face a Geodude is not going to be any more satisfying than the the fifth time. So. Uh, right. Fuck off, dude.
1: The term, the grind, does not come from Super Mario Brothers, you know?
0: Fair no. point. No,
2: it's all, yeah, that's another thing that I, it's one of those aspects of RPGs that need to go away, honestly.
0: Mm-hmm. No one likes the grind, and I think this game, like, didn't really have a ton of that grind meat on its bone. I think it was pretty economical with when it made you battle and what it made you do to get to the end game.
1: I agree with
2: that. There was nothing really, I never felt like... I mean, I'd die on a couple bosses, but if I'd changed my strategy up, that was more helpful than trying to go back and gain more levels or anything.
1: And the battle system, I think, was very simple in some ways, uh, but it had some depth and complexity to it. Like you start off the game, you don't have any magic yet. Uh, you get these magic spells later on. And you can just basically do attack and a couple of special techniques. Um, and some of these are like proximity techniques. So you, if you attack an enemy and there's another enemy nearby, you get to hit him with the little sword spinny thing, the cyclone. Um, but later on the game adds in new things like enemies that counterattack you if you attack them in the ro- at the wrong time. Or um, they're immune to magic or physical attacks and they have to be attacked with another type of thing. The game kept adding new things to the formula and each new area, area you went into there was some new enemy or some new strategy you would have to try out or figure out in order to successfully get through.
2: Yeah, another cool thing I really liked was the uh, the combo attack. So it wasn't just your techniques. Like as you would get new party members, uh, they would learn new attacks that would work together that would always be changing, always be adding something new to the table. Obviously, Chrono and Frog's X-Strike was the best thing in the game. You could pretty much just mur- murder <laughs> yeah. with that. But yeah, like uh, th- there was always something new to be trying. I, I felt like even at the end of the game, I was trying new moves that I hadn't hadn't used yet.
0: I agree. And the thing I like about the double and triple attacks that you mentioned, where you can use two characters actions to combine on a more powerful attack is the fact that it played into the active time battle system really well, right? Like, you weren't actually getting that much more damage from those things, but you were getting an economy of input that would speed up your ability to move through that active time battle system. The damage boost to me was less valuable than the fact that you were able to act decisively and say, Frog and Chrono are both going at this guy, and he's going to be dead.
1: Oh, it's it gives you um, it did give you a significant amount of more damage.
0: Well, in in some cases, yes, it did. But mm-hmm. uh, what I'm saying is, to me, the value was also the speed.
2: Okay. Yeah, yeah, because you weren't wasting your time in the menus. Because again, unlike normal old Final Fantasy or RPGs, you're not carefully selecting each move as everyone waits for you to go this is all it, if you don't go they're gonna keep hammering on you 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 got to go now so it's, sometimes it was a little stressful i gotta be honest
0: the bosses especially were where i felt like the most stress in this game uh, the boss fights in this game to me even from the start consistently felt sort of like hectic and they can also be quite long so it's sort of like a uh an endurance run with your your attention and maybe that's just 2020 brain speaking but like i did feel like i had to pay attention during the boss fights in this game
2: Oh, yeah. Like Magus, uh, Magnus, whatever. But anyway, the uh, the Fiend Lord, uh, that, the bad
0: guy. <laughs> yeah. Like you
2: have to constantly pay attention because he'd be always changing what he had a, a barrier that would change elements all the time. And if you attack with the wrong thing, then he punishes you terribly. Mm-hmm. So you're right. It does make you constantly watch and pay attention to what you're doing.
1: There were some great epic boss battles in this game, uh, Magus among them. Just some great, uh, great artwork, great graphics, great twists to the battle system that they would throw in for you. Uh, I think it really kind of, like, helped the game feel extra epic when you'd go take on an epic boss and get through that.
2: Yeah, because it was never just like hammer this one thing until it runs out of HP. There would always be some kind of thing you'd have to figure out, and there's always like multiple things on screen that you could target and try to figure out, do I do this or do I hit this one first or what's going to happen? Like that, uh, the dragon tank, it reminds me of that. Like if you don't get the head, it can heal. If you don't get the wheels, it can run over you. If you don't get the other thing, it can shoot rockets at you. And you have to sit there and decide like what's most important to me right now and what do I take care of in what order?
0: That's a really good good point. Every every boss seemed to have like a, a nice you know sort of feature or thing you needed to do. Masa and Mune needed you to defuse a really deadly attack by using Chrono's Wind Slash. Um, some of them just have amazing set pieces like uh, Great Gaia. Um, which I think we were talking about uh, in the in the green Giga room guy, before yeah. we started. <laughs> Giga guy, <Yeah. laughs> he uh, he was it was a very epic set piece, you know, yeah. like uh, sort of an epic background, stormy sky. You're on a floating island. It's uh, this game did a really good job, sort of making their their bosses feel epic.
2: Yeah, it pu- it pulled the absolute most out of the art style. Like you can only do so much with the art on a Super Nintendo, but it really did a good job of making that little amount uh, amount to a lot.
1: Oh, I thought the graphics for this game were fantastic. Uh, some of the best of us on the Super Nintendo. Um, I do some sprite work myself these days, and I found myself taking cues from the different animations and how you get more out of less when you're talking about pixel work. Uh, there were some great animations over here.
0: Great animations, gigantic sprites for the bosses um, that like really were expressive, and the color palette in this game is is awesome and varied. You know, throughout the various ages that you're visiting, and I think they did, you know, stretch the the system to its limits with that.
2: I guess we should talk about that too. We haven't really mentioned the whole the whole point of this game is uh, you are going through the same world at different time periods, basically seeing uh, the it's not Earth, but pretty much how this planet goes through its cataclysm and ultimate end and to see if you can find a way to disrupt that cycle so it was kind of cool like it has like a folding timeline that you're constantly going back and seeing different parts of and then you can affect it in different ways really advanced again for a super nintendo game where it's contemporaries were things like super mario brothers where it's jump on the turtle get the princess
1: <laughs> to be fair, today, Super Mario is still jump on the turtle, get the princess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, they haven't yeah. really changed much. Uh, visit our uh, our uh, Mario Odyssey uh, discussion for how that series has evolved. But <laughs> no, to your point, this is uh, a, a unique and interesting setting for sure. So Chrono Trigger, I guess just to set the stage, takes place on a world similar to Earth and in, in sort of several distinct time periods from prehistoric through the... Um, distant future. And the adventure sort of has several arcs to it throughout that um, time-traveling adventure. But the overarching goal, as uh, Clint mentioned, is to save the world from destruction by the entity Lavos, who uh, sort of first makes his appearance in 65 million B.C., and then finally ends up destroying the world in 1999 A.D. Um, So it's a cool setting that sort of mirrors our own world or rhymes with our world but isn't isn't earth for sure isn't
1: pretending to be earth in any capacity
0: right Mm -hmm. Right. yeah it's it's neat and i always wondered for this game what is Ear zero like what was that inciting factor (laughs) is jesus in this game i don't know (laughs) yeah there is bc and ad we don't know
1: (laughs) before chrono (laughs) <laughs> good, could be <laughs> a thousand years old it's, it's my fan theory he was uh, born in the year zero <laughs> if,
0: if we're playing chrono at age 1000 he's looking damn good for 1000 years old yeah he, he
2: looks like 16 <laughs> at most
0: <laughs> well to here's to chrono's 1000th birthday yeah um but yeah i don't know it, it is an interesting story and you know you go from uh as i said prehistoric to antiquity which is sort of like a uh high-tech magic society but then uh, a cataclysm happens before the big cataclysm that destroys the world and you are back to the middle ages in 600 AD and then you're in like sort of present times in 1000 AD and the the game sort of just continually takes you through this timeline where you're meeting all these different characters and your characters of course are also gathered from throughout that timeline
1: a lot of different characters and side quests to follow with them Uh, Eventually you get the ability to travel through time on your own as opposed to going through these random time gates that would force you to go from point A at time A to point B at time B. Um, And you're able to visit the eras with a little more freedom. Uh, This happens more towards the end of the game and I think that was some of my favorite stuff was completing all the different character side quests at the end.
2: Yep, they did a good job of of solving the backtrack problem. You, you mentioned earlier that it had quite a bit of backtracking, but this definitely alleviated some of that pain for sure. Once you get kind of easy, free flow between the time frames.
0: Yeah, once you get to that point. Yep. yeah the, the story itself sort of is like a shaggy dog thing right because you like you wake up your chrono wake up wake up chrono you're in you know present day there's a festival going on and you just happen to meet the princess of the kingdom there and then all of a sudden you're traveling through time you have to find a, a redstone then all of a sudden you end up back in this time period where they're using uh, magic to uh, address this power known as Lavos and try and attain immortality and it just one thing leads to another and as you mentioned at some point you you gain the ability to uh, control your ability to travel through time as well and get caught up in this story to save the world it's just uh it's an interesting sort of compounding narrative and there's a lot of interesting arcs that happen throughout it.
2: You're basically a time-traveling Forrest Gump. You just keep showing up at all the important... This was Forrest Gump before Forrest Gump, guys. So I'm just saying, Forrest Gump copied Chrono Trigger. I'm calling it here first.
1: One of the um, interesting things about playing this game again is there is a quest you can do at the end where you make a desert into a forest, and your robot character, since he's a robot anyways and doesn't age... He goes and starts replanting the forests at 600 A.D., and you meet him again at 1,000 A.D., and you all chat around a campfire at the end, um, or at the, uh, after the end of the quest. And he talks about how the gates are op- being opened by the planet, you know, planet Earth, or whatever the planet's name is there. The planet's seeing its life flash before its eyes, so it's going back and seeing these different memories of important times in its life and those are that's the reason behind the gate it was really interesting reading this on the steam version which had a better translation than the original super nintendo thing which was ro- uh the robot character saying like oh i don't know i think there's something that's opening these gates and that's it it's just this big mystery about like oh there's something else out there
0: they're they're giving you a little bit more of a peek into what actually made this all happen, and oh no, it
1: was a bad translation in the original one. I remember being confused enough about this that I looked it up on the internet. Afterwards. It was pretty
2: plagued. It was pretty plagued by that. So obviously that uh, that character Magus too. Uh, you can also recruit him to be part of your team, but like you start thinking about like why would we ever want that guy on our team? But it turns out there was a whole part that was never translated properly from the Japanese version basically he wasn't trying to summon him he was well he was but not to use Lavos he was trying to kill Lavos I guess
0: there was some more sort of fleshing out of the story of uh, of the the person who is Magus and you know him as a child and zeal like that connection became a lot more apparent to me I don't either I wasn't paying attention my first time through the game or I just understood a lot better this time but that uh, that definitely shone through for me more this time around
1: Speaking of translations that didn't work out, uh, this is some knowledge I found out a couple months ago. Um, the character Ozzy, who's always saying, Ozzy's in a pickle. He's, um, <laughs> he, he's one of the enemies you fight, but he's kind of one of the comic relief enemies, and that's his like catchphrase. And it sounds really weird, but then I learned that Ozzy's Japanese name was like, vinegar mr vinegar or something like that <laughs> so it's like mr vinegar is in a pickle which is how you make pickles
0: that that was a weird uh translation choice is to make uh ozzy and his gang ozzy flee and slash obviously referencing what, rock stars um, yeah yeah obviously <laughs> referencing the uh rock celebrities of uh the united states flee from the red hot chili peppers and slash from guns N' roses yep um so that's interesting um but that's funny. yeah very strange uh, but you know
2: i wonder how many things are like that like you just think like that was dumb why did they say that that's probably got like a, like a a big zinger and like the original in japan you're like i missed the whole thing
0: yeah i do i do want to mention though there's um another sort of interesting thing about this game's story is you do at some point spoiler alert now um lose your main character chrono right this is sort of the first like Aerith dies scenario uh before Aerith was ever a thing which is interesting to me you know chrono being a a sacrifice to to lavos to save his friends and um avert disaster uh and you having to bring him back to life is sort of like one of the more emotional and affecting things that you do in this game and uh that revival scene with marl is really touching i think that was one of the game's strong points writing wise
1: Mm mm-hmm And of course, the music kicks in right there. Very kind of like music box, nostalgic kind of thing. Very simple melody, but very effective.
0: Hell of a set piece. It really like sells the the emotional impact of the the moment and the scene and the fact that the crew is just happy to have Chrono back and now we're on our way to save the world. It's time to go kick Lavo's ass.
2: (laughs) Yep, and you got games following that trope. These to this day, uh, we just played Titanfall two. They mm. did it not once, but they did it <laughs> twice in the last forty minutes. They doubled down on Chrono Trigger. <laughs> They're like, "Yep, that looks good. We're gonna do that twice."
1: If once is good, twice is great.
0: Yeah, yeah, nice job. Way to cheap in the moment, Titanfall. <laughs> 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 so,
1: one interesting thing about the story too is that once you beat the game, you're able to go back. And start a new game with the same equipment and stats and levels that you had beforehand. They called it the New Game Plus. And as far as I know, they were the first RPG to allow you to do that.
2: That's crazy because like every RPG has that now.
1: Uh, Yeah, everyone has it now. But when you start a New Game Plus, um, you're able to beat the game at different points because you have a more powerful character. And then unlock some different endings based off of that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's pretty neat uh, because the game does, because it's a time-traveling story, allow you to take a time portal to the uh, apocalypse at any time and face Lavos. So when you're starting a new game plus and you're fully powered up, you can do it the first time you encounter a time portal.
2: Yeah, I thought this was super cool. Just the fact, I think it's the first game I've ever seen this where they basically said, oh, do you just want to skip the last half of the game? You can try the you can try the final boss now. Mm-hmm. And I think it had some, what was it, 20-odd endings that it could do
1: Hmm. depending Mm -hmm. on when you did it there were a number of different endings some of them were more story related and others were more just kind of like oh here's a room where you can meet all the programmers or here's um here's a couple (laughs) of the characters like talking like they're in a talk show or something just chatting about things
0: yeah it turns out there were there were 13 different endings programmed into the game uh, based on when you access that final time warp and beat lavos
2: which again, I cannot think of a single game before this that had multiple endings, much less thirteen of them.
1: No, no, the term ending might be a bit generous for some of these.
0: <laughs> Fair point. It's basically like a, a cutscene based on when you beat the boss, but they're showing that the developer thought of the possibility space here and wanted to reward the character or the player rather for um checking them out. We should talk a little bit about uh, the people that you gather up for this time-traveling crew that you're putting together to stop the end of the world. And the first one, the person who is the protagonist of the game, Chrono, just uh, to my mind, is definitely the most blank slate of these characters for me. And maybe we could talk a little bit about like who they were for you mechanically, if you used them, what you liked about them, what you didn't like about them. But uh, Chrono, for me. He was my, my sort of main attack utility person. In the end, he just sort of became a luminary using machine. Hmm. Um, <laughs> romantic interest with Marl, which is strange, but like sort of just like waved at. I don't think there was very much that built up this romance in the writing for me. So it was a little, a little thin.
1: Yeah, uh, Cronor is your typical silent protagonist. I don't think he has a word of dialogue in the whole game. He is your main character for most of the game. I don't think you can get rid of him until after he dies, and then you can have whoever you want in your three-person party. Uh, So, he's a good character though, you know. Uh, Good offensive magic, good stats for attack and defense and everything. Kind of what you compare all the other characters to. Yeah, I actually
2: like the the blank slate in an RPG. I think the best character in an RPG is the one that doesn't tell you too much about themselves because you're almost superimposing yourself on that on that person so the less they say the less they do
0: the self-insert character yeah
2: yeah so yeah he was he was just a standard tank dude like you need one in every party pretty much so he kind of filled that out so that you could kind of fill the rest out with whatever whatever you needed it
1: oh he he does like cats a whole lot if you go to the festival you can get like 20 cats in your house (laughs) that's
0: (laughs) lovely yeah they, they characterize him a little bit just enough to be um to be endearing i guess uh, next person you run into, Marl, uh, is the best healer in the game, but kind of to the detriment of anything else. She's an okay magic user, but mainly she's the princess. She's a healer, uses ice magic.
1: And haste.
2: I think the best thing she was for was, uh, having her in your party, especially in certain, anytime you were dealing with royalty, because I feel like you would get some extra dialogue around like who these people were or whatever, cause she would have something interesting to say about it.
0: Right. Yeah, definitely. Her. I guess she opened a lot of doors for the party because of her connections to the royal family and being the princess of the kingdom uh, throughout, which is, the, I guess, the, the royal family throughout time.
1: Interesting thing about her as a healer, too, is she could only ever heal one party member unless she used a combo thing. Like uh, Frog and Robo, they had heal multiple party member kind of things, which were really more useful.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would always my main healing mechanism in this game always ended up being frog and uh Alia uh yeah, Ayla. Frog and Ayla's Slurp Kiss, which <laughs> sounds gross, but uh is one <laughs> MP combo tech that basically healed my full party, everything, and cured status. So like frog and Ayla and Chrono was my kind of go to party.
1: What about you, Clint? Did you have a go to?
0: Frog, Ayla and Chrono.
2: Yeah. I mean, my, my first playthrough, I can still remember because that's how ga- that's how good this game is. Like, I still remember it from when I played it when I was whatever in uh, middle school. It was uh, Magus Frog and Chrono. Hmm. Interesting. So light on the healing, I guess Frog can do some of it, but yeah, high, bet. high on offense. Yeah.
1: I think my original party was uh, Chrono, uh Frog, but this time around it was like with a uh, Pokemon. I kind of mixed it up i wanted to see the different things which was interesting
0: i i did too I, I tried to experiment with the other characters um i guess just to to make sure we close that out uh luca is also another character in your party she's sort of like the magic damage person fire element the only person in the game with fire elemental attacks except for magus's uh fire spells but yeah she's a good mage but kind of lacked utility in any other respect from my perspective
2: um, not very interesting think... from a story aspect either just kind of the nerd i mean she could do some technical things but not really that important i didn't think
0: i I thought her writing was good in regards to her relationship with robo and like sort of how she's always the one like attending to him and then how he helps her travel back in time to save her mother from Mm -hmm. being like crippled which was an interesting story beat in that desert quest you mentioned earlier josh
1: i think that was one of my favorite side quest beats right there
0: and now we got to talk about everybody's favorite npc and party member in this game frog (laughs) Uh, I don't think you can get through this game without talking about how excellent of a character frog is.
1: And that theme music, so good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, if that's not cut in right now, I'm a bad editor. Um, But uh, yeah, he's got a great story sort of going from like, you meet him, he's a frog. Okay, what the fuck? and then you you sort of learn the backstory where you know he was a squire to a great knight he confronted uh the bad guys of the middle ages with him and then was cursed to be turned into a frog and yet sort of kept up the fight despite being discouraged eventually now he's sort of the big badass guy wielding the masamun sword the
1: sword of legend
0: it's a great arc like he he definitely has the most fleshed out arc in the game to my mind and uh that's why i keep him on my part
2: yeah, that made for some awkward uh, conversations, I believe, when you have Magus and Frog in your party at the same time. <laughs> because Magus is the one that turned Frog into the Frog and he killed his best friend, so makes for some for, for some uh, tension, I would say.
0: Good good point. Yeah, that is definitely a bit awkward, but you know what? Suck it up. Because, uh, frog trying owns- to save the world here. Come on. <laughs> the next yeah.
1: character you meet is Robo, the robot in the future.
0: Yeah, he's super strong. He didn't really show up in battles for me, though. Like, he's the only one with, like, a dark element, uh, aside from Magus, who, again, is sort of the uh, jack-of-all-trades there, but the the fact that he's immortal plays into the story in cool ways, like you were saying, Josh, where you can sort of leave him behind to build a forest for 200 years, and no one else notices. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's kind of the only place where time travel actually, like, affects a thing in this game. Other than that, it's just... No, the time travel logic of this game is very vague.
1: Kind of simplistic, yeah. Uh, but Robo yeah. does do a good job as a tank, too. He does have a higher stamina than anybody else in the gang, which reduces the amount of damage, helps raise his defense up even more.
0: Mm hmm. Uh, and then you also meet Ayla in um, 65 million BC, uh, the cave woman with. Uh, a lot of charm, a lot of strength, and basically like an attack powerhouse. Uh, She held a spot in my party because, as I mentioned before, she can also be a pretty effective healer. And uh, honestly, she's just got a lot of swagger. I like her. She's also got the steel
1: (laughs) command where you can get the balling items from everyone.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. She's the thief. Uh, The thief who's also like the most powerful attacker. This game had weird class (laughs) sort of divisions. Uh, But hey, whatever. Uh, and then finally, as Clint, you've mentioned a couple times, you were able to convert your first sort of big bad megas into your party, who's a magical powerhouse, but basically can't do any duotex with any of the other party members because, you know, they don't have great chemistry with him. Wonder why. <laughs> For some Yeah, no reason. one gets along. <laughs> yeah, so you're, you're doing a little bit of trade-off there. But it's an interesting sort of party member you have, or party you have here, and the The game does force you to like sort of use different parties by having people join and leave the party throughout the course of the game and you know it lets players sort of experiment with different configurations and encourages that and all in all like I think these characters are good varied and the game does a good job making you experiment with them
1: yeah I think the games are I think the characters are very fleshed out Um, it's kind of like the long haul you see the story evolve on each of them over the 25 to 35 hours you put into the game.
0: And the nice thing that I also like is each of them has their own musical theme that um, usually is pretty fucking good.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say yeah. far and away, the, the music was a win on this game. Especially, again, you got to consider that this is what that old-school chiptunes thing going on, like...
0: Yeah, 16-bit music. Uh, Yasunori Matsuda, the composer, apparently worked so hard on this game, he put himself in the hospital uh, just as he was finishing up the soundtrack, and uh, Nobuo Uematsu had to come in, the Final Fantasy ringer uh, that we've probably talked about at some point on this podcast, uh, to finish up the soundtrack. And despite being in the hospital, he was able to be discharged for the Japanese game development tradition of watching the final scene in the game with the rest of the dev team, seeing the credits roll, and you know, seeing the game out the door to go ship to the wider world. So, he obviously put his heart and soul into this game and uh, a good deal of his own personal health, which shows up on the, on the soundtrack. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, the soundtrack, it just kicks. There's so many good melodies, um, such a great use of the Super Nintendo. A little bit of insider knowledge, because I was recently trying to recreate songs in the style of Chrono Trigger, is that the SNES actually used sound fonts, which is kind of what it sounds like. Instead of having, it had like a MIDI file kind of of a trumpet playing a note at C, and then it adjusted the pitch up and down depending on what you wanted to do. Uh, There's better technology these days for virtual instruments, but um, it makes it a little harder to reproduce. it's a, it's a step above the chip tunes of the Super Nintendo, though. It's not just working with signs and triangle waves and all that.
0: Totally. And the interesting thing about it is it, it's sort of a, a sound style that you don't normally hear in video games. It's very jazzy, very moody.
1: Um, Some parts of it. It could get very orchestral, too.
0: Yeah, it, it had a wide range, but generally speaking, like, a, a lot of the music you're hearing, like, say, on the overworld or in the forest, it's it's atmospheric it's low-key and sort of setting the mood rather than sort of a melodic theme that you would see in like a super mario or something mm.
1: okay agreed agreed uh yeah it's um it is not a huge emphasis on the melody in this game um in fact there is uh one of them not to say there aren't great melodies though <laughs> there's great melodies <laughs> but like uh one of i think my favorite track on the soundtrack uh secret of the forest which plays fairly early on. is very interesting from a music perspective because it never really, like, resolves to anything. Like, music wants to resolve. You know, it wants to it's go mysterious. back to the root of tonic. It's mysterious. And it just kind of loops back and forth between these two tension-building chords that kind of release it but never really get all the way there. And it's uh, it's a different piece than you would see in a Mario, for example.
0: there's there's a lot of good music i could call out like uh the epic flying in the epoch music um maybe epic is not the best word to use there but um <laughs> it, yeah it, it definitely sort of sets the stage for like and now we're off and flying and we're going to go on an adventure and sort of the um resolving music with the uh, orchestral swell as you realize that you're the time-traveling heroes that are about to save the world um whenever that kicks in you like you know shit's about to go down (laughs) you know it's it's serious but yeah i guess as we uh close out this conversation it's worth talking about how this game has been adapted through time to various platforms not always in the best ways but we should talk a little bit about that, because this is a game that everyone feels is culturally significant enough to have made its way from Super Nintendo to PlayStation to PC to iOS, back to PC. Nintendo and... <laughs> DS as well. <laughs> right, Nintendo yep. DS, 3DS.
2: Waiting for that Switch port, guys. I was really <laughs> crossing my fingers for that. <laughs> it'll it'll get here.
0: Yeah, it, it has had sort of a storied history, like the Steam... PC port was initially so god-awful that, like, it was basically a PC port of a mobile game which, you know, it had, like, terrible, just mobile-only fonts. The Menus were kind of fucked and terrible to look at. Uh, They cleaned up a lot of its biggest sins, but to my mind, I guess, like, it sounds like the DS is where you want to play this, or you know, if you have the means, uh, an original Super Nintendo copy.
2: Actually, I think the Steam version now is fine. Like, they did a lot of work post- I, I yes. guess, yeah. People were, like, avoiding it like it was cursed from the beginning. But, yeah, I think they put, like, a year's worth of work into it, and they put quite a few updates, and it was... That's what I played it as this time, and I thought it was fine.
1: I'd second that. Steam version was just fine for me.
2: And it's available. That's the other thing. The other ones you can't find. Like, this is... What, has cost 15 bucks? Good luck finding the DS version. That thing hard to find. Same with cartridges.
0: The only thing I really noticed about the Steam version that was less than stellar was the menus. They still seem a little, like, wonky and generic, but honestly, how much time are you spending in the menus? And
1: Well, generic compared to what? I'm pretty sure the menus were fairly faithful to the original
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> they aren't faithful to the original is oh, what I was okay. getting at. Um, they, they are sort of just, like, more more in the vein of the mobile port, but that's not to say they're bad, and, you know, I'm picking nits at this point. I think it's totally fine what they, they have there. And, uh, to your point, the Steam version, to me, the one that I played, that you played, that we all played, um, it passes the the bar, from my, from my perspective.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, it's with you forever, then, too. Nintendo's gonna come out with a new DS, but Steam is just anything that has a PC on it, or runs PC games,
2: right and I'm just glad for once it's not a collector's item because like you said before it, go into your local game shop and $200 for the SNES cartridge or whatever it literally I had to scour eBay and spend stupid amounts of money to even get it for DS like for once it's available to anyone and everyone you don't have to go searching for it it's quick and easy and it's passable and I think people should play this game so I, I'm glad that there's a version out there that's that's good that people can get their hands on
1: so, two things I noticed playing the Steam version I want to point out. One is a hilariously awful supersizing uh filter that tries to scale up the pixel art to be something more towards a modern resolution but it completely destroys the pixel art in the process. It's kind of like, Oh if, yeah. If, the smoothing filter.
0: Man, oh my awful. goodness. So bad. Like, <laughs> you can turn that right it. off though. The pixel, you can turn it off. Yeah.
1: The Yeah. You can turn it off and which I did quickly, but the animators, you know, they put a lot of thought into this pixel should be a little shade off over here to imply movement from over here. And the smoothing filter is just like mom, nom, nom, nom pixels and spits out some garbage afterwards so it's kind of interesting to just see that and uh have a laugh at that the other thing i noticed that was added and i don't think this was for the steam version i looked into this this was added for the playstation version where there were two additional quest chains side quests you could pick up at the end of the world um like uh, after you get the flying epoch and you can hop around through time as you please i started one of them but I realized I think the game is long enough as it is. It's like a good length. Maybe there's people who want more and they'll be happy for the longer side quest, additional side quest and content. But for myself, I don't think it really, it didn't add anything.
0: I would agree with that. It's, uh, the game does sort of stop itself when it's done. And I think it's by JRPG standards, it may be short at a mere 25 hours, quote unquote. Um, but you know, to my mind, I think this game doesn't overstay its welcome. I think it's lean and effective at you know telling its story and getting the hell out. So I appreciate it for that.
2: To be fair, a lot of those other games are, are aren't really that long either. It's it's all tied up in, gr- in grinding and dumb stuff that you don't need it's it's just filler but uh, the other good thing about this game is if you're tired of it fine go beat it like you can beat it uh, after the first 10 hours just finish it they, they, they give you access to the final boss you can go do it if you so please you might get your ass handed to you but uh, <laughs> but you're welcome to try <laughs> so yeah
0: and uh, and I guess with that maybe we should go into some three word reviews <laughs>
2: For sure, so for me this was definitely a thumbs up, two thumbs up if that's allowed. Uh, I loved it in uh, 99 or whenever I played it and I loved it in 2020. So um, my three word review is test of time. This game definitely stands up to the test of time. Time pun intended, old games, it's not the graphics that kill them. It's outdated systems and lack of quality of life upgrades like your UI, battle system, save structure, things like that. Most of those old games really don't age very well, especially uh, system-heavy things like RPGs, but this game was so ahead of its time and so on cutting edge that I think it still holds up today. Like, there are a few things that I found annoying, but overall, this game is still beautiful and meaningful and still a joy to play 25 years after it was made, which is insane. I can't think of very many games that do that, especially not ones this complex. So uh, I loved it. I think everybody should play it. And, uh, yeah, that's my three-word review.
1: This game is definitely a thumbs-up for me as well. My three-word review is, again with the time puns, all-time classic. Uh, this was a great RPG 25 years ago when it first came out. It remains a great RPG now. There's a couple of quibbles I have with the game design, but not just for its time, but even today... It delivers a very satisfying and complete RPG experience. If you've never played a JRPG before, uh, this one is one that I I would definitely recommend to you. It's it's my standard bearer for the genre. Everything else gets compared to Chrono Trigger, for better or for worse.
0: It's a great game, and that's why my three-word review is Killer, No Filler. Uh, this game, to me, has passed a uh, time's test, and I will say that Killer No Filler is an allusion to another, uh, an album that came out at the time, All Killer No Filler by Sum41. So I uh, am <laughs> talking a little bit about my uh, my teenage music tastes, my teenage JRPG tastes, and uh, this game was Killer No Filler. It uh, stayed on message. It was a quick game for a jrpg it had great systems great art great music and great execution Uh, on top of that a killer team that made it so i would recommend this one to anyone as well two thumbs up for me next month's game is going to be journey since we're not taking any journeys ourselves in real life we decided to take one in our next game a game that's been released uh, recently on pc originally came out on uh playstation 3 i believe uh, several years back and uh, we're looking forward to trying this one out sort of a cooperative experience that you can have in the sanctity and comfort of your own home so for us here at pixelated playgrounds i'm brian Skersha.
1: i'm josh galecki
0: and i'm clint jones take care and keep on gaming
1: What do you mean some 41 hasn't aged well? It should just be take care and I mean, I don't know what you were expecting from 1990s pop punk, but to me they're exactly what I was expecting.
0: Hmm. Take care and stop the world from ending. No, that's
2: happening now. That's too on the nose. Yeah. All right.
0: Uh <sighs>